I'll call this uh, special meeting to order at, um, I can't read the clock over there, 404. So um, I'd like to welcome our visitors and presenters, and uh, maybe we'll just do introductions first. We're going to be rather informal here. Oops, have to accept the agenda. <laughs> Would someone like to move that? Mr. Needham, thank you. All those in favor? Carried. Okay, I don't think she's got anything else to whisper to me. So um, I'm Elaine Manzer, Deputy Mayor, and uh, maybe we'll um, get you to introduce yourselves and we'll go around and then you can figure out who everybody is. And, and if, if you just, just press the microphone. Hi, I'm Barry Kaplan, President and CEO of Ironstone. And Mika Husband, VP Corporate Development of Ironstone. Tan and Banky, Councillor with the Town of Peace River. Carries on. <laughs> <laughs> Kelly Bunn, I'm the CAO. That's Anna. Yeah. <laughs> oh, <laughs> <my Anna. laughs> Oren Ford. Rod Burr. And I'm Colin Nito. Okay. So we're ready whenever you are, and I believe the TVs are on, and we've got the same thing happening on our monitors. Great. Excellent. Thank you very much for inviting us here today to uh, share with you our story. Um, Ironstone Resources obviously has been uh, uh, working very diligently for the last six or seven years in developing the Clear Hills Iron and Vanadium Deposit. And what we're here to do today is uh, share with you uh, some of the work we've done over the last six years and where we're headed over the next uh, three or four years. <clears throat> Maybe uh, I, I'd just ask if, are people familiar with the project at all or? A little bit. I see a few people shaking. Yeah. 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 All right. Okay. Well, this, this uh, the Clear Hills Iron Ore uh, or the deposit was essentially uh, discovered by the homesteaders probably over 100 years ago. But it underwent most of its development uh, in the uh, late 60s and early 70s. About 300 holes or so were drilled. Uh, Premier Steel and Alberta government were involved in trying to establish a 500,000 ton a year uh, integrated steel facility. Uh, iron prices in those days were about $30 a ton. And the large and rich deposits in Brazil and Australia came on stream, essentially rendering the, uh, this particular project uneconomic at that time. So went into a fairly lengthy hiatus, uh, um, although the Alberta Research Council did spend a fair amount of time and a few dollars on trying to develop a process for this very particular iron ore type, which is very unique in Canada. Um, it's not unique uh, in such that there's over 300 billion tons of very similar iron ore around the world that's not currently being exploited. And the reason for that, there's no technology or there has been no process to... Uh, essentially uh, convert this ore into a sellable and merchantable products for iron and vanadium. Uh, so uh, the Alberta Research Council back in the uh, uh, probably late 70s and early 80s uh, developed a process that they called grain enlargement. They had actually had patented it at that time. It was essentially done uh, at a benchtop scale and, uh, and then the project went into hiatus. Uh, uh, since 2005, the price of iron started to shoot up through the roof when China started to really uh, accelerate their development. And the price of iron essentially quintupled, uh, went up to uh, well over $100 a, a ton. And uh, that certainly made this project uh, much more viable and much more economic. So Ironstone is a private company. We were established in 2007. 
and uh, we acquired the asset from a, from a prospector here. And uh, over the last six years, we've invested uh, over $30 million in uh, developing the resource and establishing the resource, as well as uh, essentially taking the process the Alberta Research Council had developed and scaling it to commercial scale. And that's what I'll share with you today. So I'll very quickly cover some of the highlights of the project. We'll, we'll talk about the products that we're going to produce and the markets that we intend to sell the products into. We'll talk about some of the direct benefits uh, into the Peace region, uh, some of our development timelines over the past six years and where we're headed over the next four or five years. And finally, I'll quickly summarize. I'll just add, it's probably best if we have a discussion. If you have any questions, just feel free to let us know and as we go. Okay. So again, um, uh, just uh, high-level highlights, um, we have a very long uh, uh, life, uh, uh, multiple commodity or polymetallic resource. We'll talk about the uh, breakthrough technology that we've been uh, in development with Hatch Engineering in Toronto. We'll talk about the investments that will be made in this region in support of this multi-billion dollar project. And we'll talk about some of the broad support and alliances that we've established over the last uh, several years. <clears throat> to begin with, on the long-life uh, resource... <coughs> we, uh, we've basically uh, drilled 230 holes in three drilling programs conducted in 2008, 2011, and 2012. Uh, we had to re-drill the deposit, even though there was a lot of drilling that occurred in the late 60s and early 70s. And we've established a National Instrument 43101 uh, compliant resource of 557 million tonnes. Uh, mining companies are held uh, to a securities uh, document that's called a National Instrument where all of our work has to be verified by uh, qualified people external to the company. And uh, essentially, they've looked at all of our data, our drilling data, and have reported in a NI43-101 uh, a long-life resource. We're, we're going to mine a little less than 10 million tons a year of ore. And uh, so what 557 million tons represents is over 50 years of mine life. <coughs> we, uh, <coughs> we did a, a short drilling program in 2012 uh, at the far south end of the Clear Hills uh, just to prove up the iron. And uh, we're quite uh, convinced that there is over a billion tons of resource there. And if we were to commit to more drilling, we could double the resource and establish well over 100 years of mine life. <coughs> the important uh, aspects of this project, that it'll be a very low impact, uh, essentially environmentally friendly open pit mining operation. There'll be no explosives. It'll be essentially... Uh, electric drag lines and surface miners uh, will strip off the clay that overlies the iron bed. It's a 30-foot-thick 30 30 iron bed, uh, essentially a pancake, very well-defined. It's not faulted and folded and complicated structure. And we'll use simply surface miners to grind up the ore and then truck it to the mill. And the mill will be built right at site so that we can take the ore in and process it into the iron and vanadium. So how big is this open pit? Well, the pit won't be a large pit. What we're going to do is mine from north to south. Um, essentially, we'll strip off the overlying clays, and as we advance uh, north to south, we will essentially reclaim behind us. So there won't be a, your typical iron ore uh, mines or these large open pits that stay open for 25 or 50 years. They ended up filling them with water, and they walk away from them. This will be reclaimed. Uh, we'll just simply take the overburden and restore and reclaim the land as we move north to south. Uh, the important thing and the only way we can essentially convert the ore into sellable products is we need carbon. So we need natural gas and coal. And we're very fortunate that right at site, there's uh, roughly 240 million tons of lignite coal sitting right at site, and we're surrounded by natural gas. So we have the carbon that allows us to process this ore into the merchantable iron and vanadium products. 
Uh, in eastern Canada, where most of the iron is mined, they simply grind the ore, uh, concentrate it, and ship it off to China. They have no carbon, so they can't actually produce a very high-end iron product. They just simply produce a concentrate, ship it off to China. They sell it for roughly $80 to $120 a ton, and uh, the Chinese steelmakers basically add all the value. Uh, we're going to do all the value-added production here in the Clear Hills because we have the carbon, and we're going to produce a product that sells for between four and $500 today. And we're also able to extract the vanadium, so we also get uh, capture all the value in the byproducts. <coughs> Moving on to uh, quickly talk about the, the technology, and that's really key to this project. Uh, it's been known for many decades that the resource existed, um, but what was really missing was the technology to process this ore. And uh, what we essentially have done is uh, hired Hatch, uh, global leaders in process technology and steelmaking, and they have offices all over the world. They're based in Mississauga, Ontario. And we were very fortunate to have Hatch take us on as a client because we're a very small junior miner. But uh, fortunately, Murray Smith, the former energy minister, sat on our board and he's an advisor to Hatch. He twisted a few arms and they took us on as a client. And we're very fortunate that uh, Hatch has been able to work very uh, diligently over the last three years and helped us define a commercial process. And uh, we're actually going to license that process so that we can uh, license it around the world and be able to um, essentially uh, convert a lot of the similar ore around the world into, into sellable products also. <clears throat> We're also able to extract the byproducts, as I mentioned, vanadium obviously being a key, key one. There's also other interesting byproducts that we'll be able to capture, and we'll talk about that shortly. And we've actually called the process HICS, which stands for Hatch Ironstone Chloride Segregation. It's a technical term. But essentially, it's a process that allows us to uh, use uh, uh, carbon in the form of coal and natural gas to uh, process this ore at fairly high temperatures and convert it into sellable products. <clears throat> Sorry, excuse me for my mm -hmm. ignorance, but yep. vanadium? Well, we'll talk about that uh, shortly. Vanadium typically used is to alloy steels to make them very lightweight and strong. Okay. Okay, so a half a pound of vanadium uh, can double the strength of a ton of steel. So if you've ever had Henkel knives or those really mm -hmm. high-end knives, you'll yep. see a little V on the blade, and that's vanadium. So it makes steel very, very strong. Okay, um, perfect. Yeah. Thank you. You were speaking about reclamation earlier mm -hmm. as in filling the pit as you mm -hmm. continue forward. Are, will you be reforesting that area as well? Um, well, uh, we're, we don't have the forest manager, uh, management uh, agreements in place. Uh, there's other companies involved in that. Um, we haven't really taken the project that far where we've actually, you know, discussed reforestation, um, whether we're obligated to do it or whether the forestry companies are obligated to do it is still, I guess, uh, an open debate. Uh, I, I can't answer that question right now. Uh, we've been asked by some of the, uh, tree huggers, local tree huggers here to leave the pit open so they, it can be, turn into a lake and be stocked so it'd become a really nice fishing place, so... Uh, but, you know, we'll, we'll basically, uh, our intent is to reclaim the land as best as we possibly can, as quickly as we can. Um, <clears throat> How thick is the iron ore deposit? Uh, it, uh, it peaks at about 12 and a half meters in thickness. Um, we basically, I'd say on average, it's about 30 feet thick, just using feet as opposed to meters. Uh, it's fairly consistent in thickness. Um, and uh, <clears throat> we've currently defined a fairway, and we'll talk about that shortly, of uh, 15 kilometers uh, from north to south of Iron Fairway, um, and roughly anywhere from 2 to 5 kilometers uh, east to west. So, um, the, But the pit will be a very manageable size. Uh, these electric drag lines have 100-yard buckets. They move very efficiently, move the clay. 
the surface miners come along, mine the iron, and then the, and then the, uh, the uh, electric drag mines will simply restore and, and move the clay back into the pit. <coughs> we'll, we'll quickly talk about the capital investments that uh, need to be made um, and some of the important infrastructure. Uh, we're very fortunate to be very close to CN Line, uh, just to the east of the Clear Hill, so we're looking at building a 70-kilometer spur to the main CN Line, probably interconnecting close to Dixonville. Um, because we use a, a high-temperature process, we uh, will capture all of that heat energy and uh, some of the fuels that we generate, and we'll produce up to 500 megawatts of energy, electricity, that we'll be able to sell back into the grid. Uh, we understand that this area is somewhat deficient in energy and power, and I think that will contribute a significant boost to the uh, energy requirements in the area. Um, and that's very important for us because uh, we're able to um, capture a lot of value in that uh, electricity sales and that offsets some of our operating expenses. Uh, <coughs> of course, uh, there's probably close to 170, 180,000 people who live within two or three hours of the Clear Hills. We hope to tap into the local workforce uh, to provide the, uh, the labor for these uh, skilled jobs, both in the mining and mill operations. And we'll talk about the size of the workforce. And uh, we've already had discussions with uh, the Alberta government, as well as the local colleges and educational institutions about uh, tailoring some of their curriculum for some of these jobs that are coming up. Um, kids that are entering high school today are going to be well positioned for some of these jobs uh, later on in this decade. Have, have you talked to Northern Lakes College as one of your... Uh, we uh, will be doing that. Secondary. Yeah, uh, so we, we've only started that initiative now, and uh, but we're uh, we're basically going to um, start talking to the high schools, talking to the colleges, start and talk to some of these other institutions, uh, <coughs> including Northern Lakes. <coughs> we believe that this project will be a uh, will essentially be a, uh, a seed for a lot of uh, new industry moving into the area because of the. Uh, the energy that we'll produce, uh, the infrastructure upgrades, so we believe that it'll, be, it'll spur some uh, further economic development in, in, the, uh, in the region too. Um, we've been able to establish very broad support. Um, Ironstone uh, was very successful in raising uh, some institutional monies uh, three or four years ago from, uh, based out of London that helped support the project. And we've also formed some very significant technical alliances with some of the leading uh, technology providers from around the world. Uh, and very importantly, we have about 250 shareholders in our company. We're a private company, uh, but uh, we've had a lot of local interest by a lot of local stakeholders. 80% of our shareholders today probably live within two or 300 kilometers of the Clear Hills. Uh, so we're very, um, very fortunate to have a lot of the local support, and, um, and we also have institutional support that we've been able to bring on board. <coughs> we're, uh, we're a small team, and what we've been able to do is broaden our team by hiring outside experts, and uh, that includes Hatch, as I mentioned, uh, two pilot facilities based out of the U.S. in Golden, Colorado, and another one out of Pennsylvania, as well as other companies across the country. And uh, we've uh, been throughout Asia, Japan, uh, and China. We've been into the U.S. and across Canada, and a lot of global players are watching us very carefully. Uh, because we believe in a number of years' time, we'll, we'll bring in a large strategic partner to help us continue the development to commercial startup. <coughs> so moving on, uh, just very quickly for those that are uh, somewhat more interested in the iron story, uh, we're not your typical iron ore company. In fact, we don't call ourselves an iron ore company. We're, we're a metallics company, or we're a, we basically uh, don't simply produce a iron oxide concentrate, which most iron producers produce in Canada. 
most iron is produced out of Quebec and Labrador in what they call the Labrador trough. Uh, it's on a Canadian shield, so their mining expenses are fairly high. They have to blast and truck and shovel. <coughs> they have no carbon, so all they simply do is grind the ore and concentrate it up to roughly 67% concentrate. Uh, and because they only grind and, and concentrate it, they can't extract any of their value out of the ore. They just simply produce an iron concentrate, and they ship it off to China. <coughs> and they, uh, today, iron concentrates sell for about $80 a ton. Uh, they hit up to about $140, $150 a ton uh, probably a year to 18 months ago. But we've seen a softening in the price. We're producing a, almost a pure iron metal. So we're actually removing the oxygen from the iron oxide and, and producing an iron metal. Um, essentially a scrap metal uh, substitute or a replacement for scrap metal. Uh, scrap metal is typically your, uh, your feedstock for most of the steel making in North America because North America uses electric furnaces and electric furnaces use scrap, they melt scrap metal. So the, the product that we're producing is an excellent for, uh, substitute for scrap, although it uh, has no paints, it doesn't have any of the contaminants and it sells for a slight premium to scrap in most marketplaces. And uh, we expect to sell this product for close to $400 a ton by the end of this decade um, uh, based on some long-term forecasts. So it's, it's a high-margin product. Uh, it's more energy-intensive, uh, so our operating costs are a little bit higher, but we do certainly have the margins that support uh, some of the higher operating costs. <coughs> Again, we're talking about a very simple open-pit mine. Uh, our mining costs are going to be r relatively low compared to most iron producers around the world. Uh, whereas in eastern Canada, they have to blast, they have to do a lot of grinding, um, and they have to mine roughly 20 million tons a year to produce uh, roughly 8 million tons of concentrate to make their projects economic. The advantage we have, we'll mine less than uh, 10 million tons a year. We'll produce 2.5 million tons of um, iron product. And uh, so it's a much simpler, much lower impact mining operation, and it's... Um, uh, superior economics than your typical iron producer. <coughs> the other advantage we have, because we're using some, uh, chemistry uh, and process uh, and processing the ore, we're able to not only produce the iron, but also extract the value of the vanadium. We'll talk about the uses of vanadium here shortly. Uh, we're going to generate a significant amount of uh, waste heat that will convert to electricity. And we also have other byproducts that we'll investigate, such as silica. Uh, we have a high content of silica that can be used in glass and ceramics. Uh, we will extract the, uh, the phosphorus from the ore, and that could potentially be converted into phosphates for use in fertilizers. Uh, the overlying clay has value. Uh, they, it's called bloated aggregates, where they simply bake the clay and, and turn it into building stone. And uh, there's a large gravel deposit up there that we've, uh, that we've permitted that potentially could be used uh, in construction and dressing the roads. In eastern Canada, unfortunately, because they simply grind the ore and concentrate it, they have no byproducts. So that's a huge advantage for the Clear Hills. <clears throat> Again, our markets are global. Um, we believe our, uh, the best market for us is the U.S. because they primarily use electric furnaces. Uh, but even in Asia, where they use uh, traditionally use blast furnaces, uh, our iron can be used as a scrap substitute because they always add scrap into their furnaces to improve the efficiency of the furnace and, in, uh, and increase the iron content. Whereas the Eastern Canada strictly can only sell concentrates to China and only into blast furnaces, and they can't sell it into modern electric arc furnaces. <coughs> we have a huge shipping advantage. If we were to elect to sell to, uh, our products to Asia, we just simply rail it to uh, Port-au-Prince-Rupert and have less than 15-day sale to Beijing or Tianjin. 
whereas in eastern Canada from Setil, they have over 35 days to move their products to the marketplace in China. <clears throat> the other advantage we have is because we're producing a very dense, high-metallized product, there's no waste that we're shipping, whereas you're producing a, a 67% concentrate uh, in eastern Canada, a third of the product they're shipping overseas is waste, and most of it's oxygen, which comes out in the blast furnace. So again, we're not shipping oxygen around the world. <clears throat> uh, we have excellent infrastructure here, thankfully. Um, again, a very short rail spur. We have a, a deep water uh, ice-free port at Port of Prince Rupert. We have excellent rail into the U.S., which is our key marketplace. And uh, we'll also be able to generate a significant amount of electricity for sale into the grid. Yes. So um, how many rail cars do you think would be coming out of that place in a matter be, of a uh, probably We estimate there will be large unit trains, uh, roughly 100 car trains moving out every second day from from the uh, site. And those would all basically have to come through here? Yes, they would be routed through Peace River. Mm -hmm. Unless you want us to go north, because there's always that option to go north. Okay. <coughs> Is there an issue with the uh, capacity? Just thinking of the rail traffic, that's all. Oh, I see. Okay. I suppose we can always truck it, but it would uh, be much, much more expensive. Um Again, uh, we have an advantage here, um, uh, whereas there's a huge congestion issues with the rail in eastern Canada, and also their ports are, uh, uh, have to be expanded, and they certainly have power constraints. Um, so again, huge advantages for the Clear Hills and iron deposit out in east, western Canada versus eastern Canada. <coughs> um, for the propeller heads in the audience here, what we're actually producing is what they call direct reduced iron, or DRI. Reduce, a reduction essentially means removal of oxygen. So what we're doing is essentially uh, uh, mining the ore, uh, doing a very simple grinding operation. We, it moves into these large kilns, which are roughly 30 feet in diameter, hundreds of feet long. They're heated up to about 1,000 degrees using coal and natural gas. It produces a reducing atmosphere, oxygen-free atmosphere. And then what happens is that the oxygen is stripped out of the iron oxide and leaves behind a pure metal. And then we just simply uh, magnetically separate the pure iron and in the waste stream, we have the vanadium, and we just simply leach it out. So we generate all the important um, process uh, chemicals within the process itself. Yeah. So when you're doing this, do you, the, would we see a big plume of stuff going up into the air? Uh, no. Uh, basically, we're going to capture all the heat, uh, and we're going to capture the CO2. Uh, there's a value for CO2 uh, for uh, enhanced oil recovery here. We're very close to some mature oil pools, and we expect to um, capture the CO2 and sell it uh, for enhanced oil recovery. Uh, again, we're, we're capturing all the energy. We're not high. Uh, we're not going to use a lot of water. The water, this ore contains 15% moisture. We'll be able to capture all the moisture and use it internally, and we'll recycle most of our. Uh, water, energy, and what, uh, heat uh, as much as possible to conserve energy and uh, improve our efficiencies. <coughs> DRI is, uh, is manufactured around the world, primarily in the Middle East and Asia, uh, sorry, in India, where you have very low-cost carbon sources. Um, and uh, so there's about 400 plants around the world. It's not new technology. All we're doing is adding a slight twist to it so that we can actually process this type of iron ore in that uh, using that technology. And essentially, uh, by reducing the ore, essentially stripping the oxygen, um, uh, the natural gas provides the hydrogen, um, and we produce, uh, after the process is done, we produce two fuels, hydrogen and carbon monoxide, which will drive uh, turbines to produce electricity. 
the heat will drive steam boilers to also produce a, uh, electricity. So it will be a sort of a combined cycle type of um, electricity production. <clears throat> iron is a very important metal. 95% of the metal produced in the world is iron, not copper, zinc, or any of the other uh, interesting things. And it's primarily used to produce steel in construction, uh, such as rebar and I-beams uh, for bridges and buildings. Um, importantly for Western Canada, uh, tubulars and pipe is obviously produced from um, iron. Um, automobiles um, and airplanes uh, are obviously produced from uh, high-strength steels. And more importantly, the U.S., uh, with their electric arcs, they produce very uh, interesting specialty steels for automotives, uh, where they increase the strength of the cars. A good example is recently uh, uh, the Ram um, pickup trucks have been able to increase their towing capacity, and that's because they're using vanadium and producing high-strength steel so they can increase the towing capacity of their vehicles. So again, it's, uh, it's a universal product. It's sold all over the world, and when we're talking about infrastructure investment, you typically talk cement and steel. So iron is a very important commodity uh, uh, in, around the world. You asked about vanadium, uh, and this will answer your question. It's, uh, it's uh, essentially called an electric metal. Uh, it's used primarily in strengthening steel. So 80% of the vanadium today is used to alloy steel to make steels very hard and strong and lightweight. <clears throat> now, the, um, most of the iron is sourced from Brazil, Australia, Eastern Canada, and other places where they, they don't do any value-added processing. So the vanadium actually moves along with the iron concentrates, and the vanadium comes out in the blast furnace. So the steel producers capture the value of the vanadium, which are then used to alloy the steel to make the steel stronger. But because we're using a process, we're able to capture that uh, vanadium right at the mill so we don't export the iron with the vanadium and the steel makers get all the value for it. So a huge advantage for us. Um, so most of the vanadium today is used in strengthening steels. China just very recently mandated they have to increase the vanadium in their rebar and construction steels so their buildings don't collapse during earthquakes anymore. And, and in doing so, the supply of vanadium, the demand for vanadium is far outstripping supply today. Um, and uh, believe it or not, the clearhouse holds probably one of the top three compliant resources of vanadium in the world. Two and a half billion pounds of it. It's typically sold by the pound. It sells today roughly for about $6.50 a pound. We're forecasting at least $10 a pound when we're in production. And if we're able to produce a vanadium product, an enriched vanadium product that can be used in batteries, um, the, pr the price we expect to be even higher than what we're forecasting. And I mentioned batteries, and the reason for that is there's been a lot of development in using uh, vanadium in what they call redox batteries or vanadium flow batteries. So the, the big issue in renewables, both solar and wind, is storage. And without storage, um, we won't see a huge expansion in renewables. Vanadium it really addresses that issue because you can create these very large capacities uh, batteries. They're basically the size of buildings. Uh, it uses an electrolyte, and um, it uh, has uh, the ability to be infinitely charged and discharged without losing any capacity, unlike lithium batteries, which, you know, after a couple of years, you basically lose uh, the capacity to hold a charge. You can only charge it maybe 100 cycles before you have to uh, buy a new battery. Vanadium had, doesn't have any of those issues. They're very large capacity. They're designed to be installed near wind farms and solar farms to store electricity so when the wind's not blowing and the sun's not shining, you have electricity that you can push into the grid. And it also tends to moderate the grid so when you have the wind blowing and you get influx of electricity into the grid, it causes a lot of spikes, uh, whereas these vanadium batteries are designed to address the spikes in the, in the grid. 
So there's been a lot of new pilot development work in vanadium batteries. There are a lot of pilot uh, facilities throughout New York State, California. A lot of the states have mandated uh, 15 to 20 percent of the electricity grid has to be uh, through re renewables. So really there is an accelerated development in, in battery storage and vanadium is leading the charge as far as large capacity renewable energy storage systems. <clears throat> we'll provide a, a huge supply of vanadium into the world market because today 97% of the supply of vanadium is controlled by the Russians and the Chinese who get it out of their steel making. And uh, this represents, the Clear Hills represents one of the largest unencumbered uh, supply of vanadium into the world marketplace. The U.S. considers it a strategic metal because they have to import 100% of the vanadium they use in their military jets and other applic sensitive applications. And they're quite concerned that their frenemies like China and Russia control the supply. So this represents a huge supply, a strategic supply into the U.S. to uh, address that shortfall. <clears throat> Some of the applications in vanadium is obviously, uh, as I mentioned, vanadium flow uh, batteries. This is a typical installation where you see a solar farm with the vanadium batteries over on the left side. Uh, they're designed to be implemented right in the field where you generate the power. Um, it's also used in glass applications. Uh, vanadium has a, an interesting property at about 30 degrees. It changes its property so it reflects light and energy so that buildings can become much more energy efficient uh, by transmitting less heat into the buildings. It's obviously used in alloying, um, high-strength, low-alloy steels. Uh, they use it in their military jets, their spy planes, and other applications like that. It makes steels very, very strong, very thin, and very lightweight. It's also used in the chemical industry uh, to produce sulfuric acid, other resins, and polymers. So it has a wide application throughout the world, but the real driver for vanadium in the future is going to be in grid storage and renewable energy storage. <coughs> <clears throat> Again, uh, as I mentioned earlier, Hatch has, be has become our very key partner. Uh, we're developing this process. We've extended it through several phases of scale-up uh, and development. And uh, we own the technology on a 50-50 basis with Hatch. Um, they've already been approached by a number of international companies uh, that have issues with similar ores around the world, looking for solutions. Um, and we're quite excited about that because we didn't think that the licensing opportunities would exist for several more years, but we're already starting to see interest from overseas in implementing the same technology around the world. <clears throat> Hatch is not the only uh, partner that we're working with, but we're also working with other top-tier companies. Again, we're able to extend our expertise. We're a small team, and we've been able to work with two large pilot facilities, one in Golden, Colorado, the, the other in Bethlehem, Pennsylvania, Unfortunately, we have to ship the ore to these facilities in the U.S. because we don't have these pilot facilities in Canada to prove up and extend the process. We've also brought on an uh, equity partner by the name of North American Coal based out of Dallas. Uh, they're looking to become our contract miner for both the coal and the iron ore. And we also work with a number of other ancillary labs uh, that exist across Canada. Um, and all of these are well-recognized companies around the world because most companies that develop these type of deposits work with Canadian companies. <clears throat> and some of the uh, benefits that we believe that will flow through to the region here, obviously it's going to be a significant capital infusion. At startup, probably about a billion and a half dollars in capital will be invested to establish the mine and mill. Uh, ultimately, two and a half billion at full production is what we forecast the capital expenditures will be. There will have to be some ups, uh, upgrades to infrastructure, but primarily we'll have to uh, build the rail line in from the east as well as uh, probably be put in a road. Uh, we're looking to upgrade the Nauticuan Fire Tower Road from the south. 
uh, near Worsley to take people in from the south end of the Clear Hills. Um, obviously, a power grid uh, will have to be built to uh, interconnect with the, uh, the main grid uh, to the east. And obviously, we're going to have to see some um, investments in, in real estate to house uh, a lot of full-time workers. <clears throat> Again, this is a very long-life project. <clears throat> we're forecasting a minimum of 50 years of production based on our current resource. And we're going to produce about 2.5 million tons a year of what they call hot briquetted iron. So once we've separated the iron magnetically after it becomes metallized, um, and this is an example of it, and I can pass this around, it passes through these uh, magnetic separators, and then we simply uh, press it into a briquette. And uh, it's roughly 95% pure iron, and they're loaded onto trains and then shipped off either into the U.S. or to the port at Prince Rupert. So that material is about 95% iron. Um, and we keep it in argon gas, and the reason for that is because if you expose it to air, it would instantly oxidize and become uh, rust again. It'll instantly oxidize. So that's pure iron, and that would simply be formed into a briquette. <coughs> Excuse me. And by putting it into a briquette, it, it prevents it from oxidizing and uh, and uh, converting back into iron oxide. Uh, we're also going to uh, go ahead. Sorry. So what have you got for byproduct that you can't use? I mean. There's um, got to be something left, right? Well, I mean, the clay, obviously, I, I, I believe the clay will end up back uh, in the pit. Uh, the silica is 25% silica. Um, if we don't establish a market, um, it, the, the silica will end up back in a pit. It's just simply quartz. Uh, so, um, you know, we, we've our focus is primarily up until now has been on both the iron and the vanadium. We haven't really spent much time looking at the silica or the phosphorus. So we haven't really looked much at uh, even the gold because there's gold in the deposit. Um, unfortunately, the gold doesn't survive the process, but we believe that after crushing and drying it before it goes through the kilns, we may be able to separate the gold, uh, but we're, we don't talk about the gold because when you talk about gold, no one cares about iron and vanadium. <coughs> so anyway, so but there's there's potential there. Uh, so but, uh, you know, again, our the main economics in this project, iron probably carries about 80% of the value, uh, the vanadium probably 20%. A anything else would only contribute to offsetting some of our operating expenses. Uh, so essentially, uh, when we build and establish a demonstration plant a few years from now, that's when we'll start to investigate some of the other uh, goodies in the in the process. <coughs> um, again, these are going to be very uh, high-paying jobs, uh, both skilled and unskilled jobs associated with the mining operations as well as the mill operations. Uh, we're forecasting roughly a thousand uh, workers during a two-year construction period and up to full up to 500 full-time jobs. Using your standard multiplier of every direct job, there's probably anywhere from five to ten indirect jobs, services, and goods and services that have to be provided to the uh, this operation. So it's just, it's going to be a significant employer, and we're hopeful that we're going to be able to attract and draw uh, the labor force from the existing communities and also hope to convince a lot of kids entering high school today that these are going to be good-paying jobs close to home and hopefully keep them closer to home. So <coughs> a student entering high school and wanting to work in your facility, mm -hmm. what sort of like apprentice training or something would they actually be needing? Well, um, there's heavy equipment operations. There's obviously maintenance. There's safety. There's electrical jobs, plumbing jobs, welding jobs, fabrication there's uh, pressure engineers? vessels, steam engineers, absolutely, steam, you know. I steam mean, people. The, 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 I mean, it's, it's virtually 
there's almost a, a, a good overlap with a lot of the jobs in the oil sands, uh, a lot of these large refineries. Um, so there's a lot of these educational in initiatives already underway to train the youth for those type of jobs up north. And uh, so there's a lot of overlap yeah. there. I think I meant power engineers, right? Power engineers too, absolutely. Yeah. So, I mean, uh, when we move through our preliminary economic assessment this spring and as we move through pre-feasibility stage of development, that's when we'll clearly identify the type of jobs and, uh, and we'll start to... It's, we're still probably at least 12 months away from identifying exactly the type of jobs, a number of different skill sets that we're going to need, and then we'll, we'll start to work with the educational institutions to hopefully tailor some of the curriculum and, uh, and hopefully uh, establish, uh, you know, trades, training, and what have you. <clears throat> Again, um, um, not only with the large capital investment to build the mine and mill, um, our operating expenses every year are estimated about $800 million. Most of those goods and services are going to be sourced locally. A lot of that money is obviously going to flow through local communities, and, and our mandate is to buy local first before we have to look outside our, our local communities. Um, it, it's going to provide a huge amount of taxes, both local and provincial taxes and federal taxes, and as well as royalties, and we hope to see a lot of that money reinvested um, in the region. <coughs> and again, uh, with a large project like this, um, we expect that it'll, uh, it'll provide the seed for other industries locating up in northwestern Alberta. Uh, we'll upgrade, obviously, with the new power generation, uh, with the upgrades in infrastructure. Um, we expect to see some spin-offs that develop around this project, and that should also bring uh, significant benefits to local communities. <clears throat> well, <coughs> the um, uh, one, one, one key aspect is we're going to be building a demonstration pilot plant. And that plant's going to operate uh, at least for a year to just to essentially uh, allow us to provide the final engineering before we build the large uh, the mill. <coughs> but we're all, we intend to continue to operate the pilot plant through the life of the project. And the reason for that is because we have licensing opportunities. We're going to attract similar ores from companies around the world into the clear, into this Clear Hills area. We'll be able to test their ore and, and demonstrate that we can actually process it and, and then license that technology out. So we'll have long-term jobs starting probably a couple of years from now. And we forecast anywhere from 15 to 25 people working at even at the demonstration plant. Uh, the, the fact that we're uh, – this area is deficient in, in electricity. Um, we think that by uh, introducing 500 megawatts of new power into the area – um, it'll it'll provide the impetus for a lot of other industries to uh, establish here. Uh, what industries? It, it's still I, I probably couldn't articulate the type of industries yet. Uh, we're looking to uh, to cooperate with other companies, um, uh, private rail carriers. We're looking at uh, working with companies that want to provide the energy conversion for us. Uh, we're bringing in contract miners from uh, different parts of the world. Uh, you know, when you see these type of projects developed uh, in, in brownfield and in greenfield areas, it tends to, uh, over time, bring in other industries. And we, we think that those spin-offs will also uh, happen here in the Clear Hills. <coughs> um, we certainly, um, you know, this area has been, uh, over the last, you know, three, four years, we've brought in many uh, people from outside outside the province, outside the country, to visit the Clear Hills and see our, the work that we've been doing. It's opened up a lot of eyes. Um, 
so we're working with large companies in both Canada and the United States today. Um, we've had uh, uh, Asian uh, people from China in the area. Um, and um, every time they come in here, they're quite impressed with the, the, the infrastructure um, and all the other ancillary services are in the area here. So, again, I think that this, this could uh, be a, um, uh, potentially a magnet to bring other industry into the area. As far as uh, uh, these are the local communities surrounding the, uh, the Clear Hill site, the green box basically represents where the Clear Hills is. Um, we believe that the airport at, uh, at uh, the Peace, uh, Peace area here, the Manning Airport is going to be very important for us too. Uh, we'll be able to source labor, goods and services uh, locally and as far, as far north as high level and, and, and all the way west to uh, Fort St. John. So we hope to tap into um, as many of the local communities as possible to source the skills that we need as well as the goods and services that we're going to need to support this uh, large enterprise. <coughs> Yep. Hopefully. Hopefully. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, I uh, maybe I was constrained for uh, for space, <clears throat> but uh, Peace River is one of the largest centers around the Clear Hills. Uh, we think that the, most of the benefits will flow through to the Clear Hills, as opposed to a lot of the other communities. Um, and essentially, I, uh, it just those um, symbols just basically represent goods and services, and I've just scattered them around the map. <clears throat> and so it's more representational as, as opposed to being uh, directly. Uh, Do you see uh, this um, process, uh, your infrastructure, as uh, needing work camps for people? I think that will. Uh, it's a, it's going to be a 24-7, 365-day operation. When you fire up these kilns, they basically just keep going. Um, uh, all year round, uh, there'll probably be shift work, and uh, to be able to attract people from as far north as high level, and as far as uh, Fort St. John, and down even Edmonton and there at Grand Prairie, we'll probably have uh, a camp established uh, close to site to accommodate, especially during construction. There's no doubt uh, with a large construction workforce, uh, but even during operations um, to support a large workforce uh, and the shift work, I think we'll, we'll have camps there. But uh, the fact that there's good access from the south and the east, uh, we think that uh, uh, a large portion of the workforce will commute in also. Uh, we'll talk about some of the work that we've done um, over the last three years. Uh, actually, over our first three years, um, we've uh, essentially focused, and the dates are wrong at the top. It should say 2008 to 2012. I apologize for that. Uh, but we focus on drilling and establishing resource. Um, so we've drilled the 230 holes. We've defined a, uh, a large fairway of iron that's basically represented in the green on the map. That roughly is about 15 kilometers north to south um, and roughly 2 to 3 kilometers east to west. The coal deposit lies immediately to the west of what uh, we perceive where the pit will be. Now the pit isn't going to be entirely open. It's going to be open in, in sequence uh, north to south. Uh, the coal is close to the surface, so it'll be strip, strip mined and then reclaimed. And uh, we need roughly 2 million tons of coal and not a large amount. <clears throat> the natural gas is very close to us. <clears throat> and uh, so basically, uh, over the first three years of our, uh, our life, uh, we focus on resource development. 
uh, working with sustainable resource in the early days, um, making sure that we were good uh, stewards of the, uh, of the land and, and uh, made sure that our drilling programs were conducted in a very proper manner. <coughs> and uh, what we've been able to establish today is at least a 50-year mine life. And, if we were to, um, and the brown block at the south end there represents where we drilled in 2012. If we were to infill drill between the, uh, the brown block at the south and the green block to the north, we could double our resource. But with a 50-year mine life, we'd elected to stop our drilling because we have such a long mine life, and we've devoted most of our efforts over the last three years in the process development. <coughs> and again, uh, the dates are wrong there. I must have flipped them by mistake. But uh, essentially, um, uh, no, those are correct. T 2011 to 2014, where we focused on process development, uh, hiring Hatch, working with all the other labs, uh, moving the process through uh, the two pilot facilities, and taking through lar three large phase up uh, and scale ups, um, what you see there, that visual is a um, is a uh, kiln operating at roughly a thousand degrees with the iron rotating in it. And it's a reducing environment. There's no oxygen. Essentially, the process is occurring inside that kiln. Uh, so you can imagine a lot of heat and energy is produced in that process, and that's where we capture that energy so that we can produce electricity. The little photograph at the at the top there is a, uh, a sort of a small commercial kiln that's in Pennsylvania, and that's where we're, uh, we expect to conduct another pilot test later next year and finalize our process development work and then move to building a demonstration plant. Um, and uh, over the next uh, four or five years, this is what we hope to accomplish. Um, first quarter of next year is our preliminary economic assessment. We've modeled the economics uh, fairly uh, uh, conservatively, uh, internally at Ironstone, the economics look very robust with very strong returns. And uh, But what we're going to do is have it externally validated. And it's called a preliminary economic assessment where we hire an outside uh, qualified consulting firm. They look at our numbers, verify them, and then report a preliminary economic assessment or PEA. Uh, we'll also expect to conduct a large pilot test at a commercial facility in Pennsylvania next year. That'll essentially confirm and finalize our process flow sheet and then we'll move to build a demonstration pilot and hope it hope to have it operational sometime in late 2016 operate it at least for a year <clears throat> then we're looking to upgrade our PEA into what they call a pre-feasibility study which increases the confidence level on the economics uh, narrows down the capital requirements the operating expenses and uh, it's a very powerful document because essentially is uh, allows us to uh, move to a full feasibility stage quickly after that Generally, and that's uh, at the same time we're sourcing our pre-feasibility study, we're, we'll be seeking off-take contracts. Um, we're going to be producing uh, over $1.2 billion in sales annually based on selling the iron and vanadium. Typically, we'll have that pre-sold and off-take forward off-take contracts, and it, it, those off-take contracts are what you take to the banks to finance a project. So we expect to have the project capitalized based on securing off-take contracts roughly in that time frame. We've already been approached by commodity buyers. We've been in touch with um, the major steel makers around the world, and there's a lot of interest. Uh, we were in China last fall at the China Mining Expo meeting other uh, companies, and had we been in production, everything would have been sold by now because everyone wanted to buy what we're producing, but we're not producing for five years, unfortunately. <clears throat> Finally, we'll move into full feasibility, um, and then uh, Senchi uh, move into construction phase, roughly two years to open up the mine build the mill, and we expect to be in full operation sometime at 2010, in the 2010 time frame.
2020. Uh, sorry, 2020. And again, uh, that wraps up uh, what we have to chat about today. Again, uh, I just want to leave you with four um, items. One is that it's a, a very important strategic asset sitting right essentially in our backyards here. Uh, it's a large uh, compliant resource with a long mine life. Uh, we're producing uh, multiple commodities that have a worldwide global market appeal, uh, primarily in the U.S. and Asia. Um, again, the vanadium is a very important and will probably contribute more and more to our economics in the future as vanadium consumption grows and accelerates. And again, we're ideally positioned to ship both to North, into North American markets as well as Asian markets. Um, our primary goal over the last five and six years is basically to take as much risk off the table as possible. We've been able to do that through our drilling programs uh, by establishing this long uh, and large resource. And we've also taken the engineering through uh, close to four years now where essentially what we've been able to do is scale it up and, and uh, assure ourselves that we're able to commercialize this process. It, it takes time. It takes a lot of money. Um, but uh, we wanted to ensure that uh, as we move forward, we're not leaving any risk on the table. <clears throat> uh, our, uh, as far as the, uh, the company is concerned and, um, as, and uh, for our stakeholders, the, the PEA is a very important document for us. It validates our economics, and it also positions the company that if we elected to go public, that's a document we would need to take the company public. Our, our desire is to remain private if we possibly can, uh, but if the markets were really good and supported um, having to take the company public, that, that potential does exist. Uh, the next uh, very important uh, value lift uh, as far as this project is concerned is conducting a pilot test late next year in Pennsylvania and moving to pre-feasibility. And then beyond that, I think the first and real evidence and tangible proof that this project is moving forward is when we build that demonstration plant a couple of years from now uh, close to Hines Creek, and uh, we'll have boots on the ground, and I think it'll, uh, at that time, everybody in the surrounding communities will see that this is real and moving forward. And, and then we'll move through a full feasibility study and secure the, uh, the capital that's needed to build it and then move into construction. Uh, as far as our shareholders concerned, we have this in here because uh, we do give this talk to some of our shareholders. Uh, as far as our um, shareholders are concerned, uh, we expect to remain private and bring in a strategic partner. That could be a large international steel company or mining company. Uh, we could potentially take the company public or, uh, uh, or combine our company with a public company. And ultimately, um, we could be approached to uh, purchase the project off of us. Uh, to be perfectly honest with you, we don't think that Ironstone will be the final operator of this of this project. We're a very small enterprise. Uh, we believe that we'll um, we'll, we'll bring on a, a, a large strategic uh, joint venture partner that'll send and we'll hand over the project, and they'll take it over the finish line. And that uh, concludes um, our presentation to you. I really appreciate your your attention and. Um, your good questions, and if you have any more questions, I'd be happy to answer them. <clears throat> Just uh, start mm -hmm. with a little clarification on uh, tertiary, secondary extraction, right? So mm -hmm. every part of the product on your own, that's a, that's a lot of product. So I, I guess the question is, do you, do you send the product out to Gipsco and Regina and they make the pipe, or do you build an export plant in Grimshaw and then ship the pipe out? Uh, that's, you? that's a great question because... Um, Ultimately, the original intent of this, uh, the, uh, back in the 60s by the Premier Steel, was to build a steel facility right in the Clearhills. 
<clears throat> now, if we were to, to put electric furnace at the back end uh, of our process, uh, we'd be able to go right to steel. And uh, two wheelers is a very. Uh, we can do uh, put a rolling mill in here. We're going to ultimately. I think what's going to happen is we're going to produce steel. Uh, steel will be produced right at the site. Okay, they'll put electric furnace in there, a rolling mill, and they'll produce tubulars, rebar, uh, in right in Western Cat, right at the clearhouse. Uh, that's, that's where I think the ultimate goal will be. Yeah. And we were uh, the Chinese that we were talking to wants us to ship the 95% iron to China. They'll finish it up into steel, ship it back to us. The Koreans came along and said, you know what? Doesn't make sense to you, for you to ship this 95% iron, and we turn it into 100% and send it back to you. Why not put? Why not make the steel right here in Western Canada? Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Ultimately, it'll even enhance it even more. We, we the reason why we didn't build that into our business plan is because it adds about another billion dollars in capital. So we wanted to keep it manageable, uh, and we didn't want to oversell it. But ultimately, I think that that is the end game: is that uh, steel will be made right here in uh, in the clearhouse. Couple years from now. Yeah, yeah, a couple years from now. As far as the environmental impact is concerned, um, we have done a scoping study. Um, we know it's two years in fisheries, uh, about a year, roughly a year for the flora fauna. There'll be a uh, probably two years of public consultations um, in our uh, as we work through our Im environmental impact assessment. Um, we've got fairly good relations with uh, the two um, First Nations uh, bands that live close by. Um, and we've hired them during our drilling programs. We've got very good relationships with them. I think they see the ultimate potential in providing some long-term jobs. They've got a small reservation at Clear Hills there um, that they see that could uh, potentially um, they could leverage uh, for possibly some housing or what have you. So. Uh, you know, we've tried to be good stewards and uh, and get out there and talk to a lot of communities. Um, we haven't done a lot of that over the last several years because a lot of the work we've done has been conducted at pilot plants and it's not very interesting for people. But now that we've uh, basically completed a lot of our process development um, and um, we believe that uh, now is the time that we have to get out there and start talking to the communities, uh, letting them know more about what we're doing. The fact is this is very real. And, um, and and within two years, we'll see evidence of, of the project moving forward fairly quickly at that time. So access to the site, you said the rail line's going to come east, and I'm assuming it's because the so you don't have to cross the piece to get it over to... Yeah, yeah, that was one option we looked at many years ago, but you'd, you can imagine the kind of uh, trellises and bridges that have to be built because, uh, uh, you know, Taylor was originally, the thought was to rail it to Taylor, <coughs> and, and that would save a lot of rail miles. But the only thing is, is that you're beholden to the U Asian market at that point because it's going out to Port of Prince Rupert, you know. And there's a lot of congestion also up in uh, northeast and D.C. on the rail. Uh, we think that uh, even though it adds more rail, rail miles, taking it east and routing it through Edmonton is probably gives us the optionality of either taking it west to the port, to Asia, or south to the U.S., uh, so the rail will come in probably from uh, Dixonville, roughly Dixonville, Man between Dixonville Manning, probably uh, very close to the Sulphur Lake Road where there's high ground there. Uh, yeah, but we'll also upgrade the access in from uh, from the south so we can draw people in. Uh, there's also Worsley was working on um, 
that road uh, to the west there, they stop, you know, roughly west, uh, west of where the project's going to be. Uh, potentially that road could be extended and brought in from the west too so that we can bring people in from this. Uh, but the public, around. the road access will be from the, from the south? The road will be both uh, parallel to the rail from the east, so yep. people come in from Manning and people will also be able to come in okay. from Worsley. <coughs> yeah, I, I believe so, yeah. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, and that's where I think this power will tie in. Uh, it'll come out along that corridor too. <clears throat> okay, well, that's, that's okay. okay. No problem. Um, do you, do you have a copy yes, I left a copy yeah. for Anna, but I'm going to send her actually a, a somewhat a little bit updated one. Okay. So she'll have it tomorrow, and then she'll be able to s uh, distribute it. Perfect. Okay, and we have a lot of information on our website. You're welcome to go on our website and. You can subscribe to our newsletter, and we send out a newsletter every uh, four to six weeks. And so if you click the little subscribe button on our website, you'll get on our mailing list, and we'll send you some information. On Maybe what on I can do is basis. get the emails from Anna, yeah. and then we can add you to our newsletter. Okay. Okay. Yeah. okay. Thanks very much. All right. Thanks for taking the time. Any other questions? <clears throat> Any questions from our audience? <laughs> Put you on the spot. <laughs> I have one last question myself. So uh, when you're talking about attracting um, employees and so forth, um, what do you see at the present point that our, say, Town of Peace River would need or other towns to um, attract those employees to actually live in this Northwestern Alberta area. In in what sense? What um, you know to attract? If you're going to attract the wife, how are you going to get the husband to move with her to live here? Well, uh, you're, you're, <laughs> I think you've got the answer to that question. <laughs> you know, you know um, the. Uh, I mean, this region offers a lot of um, uh, benefits to a lot of people that uh, don't necessarily want to work in the big cities. Um, I think that the uh, the attraction of working in smaller communities uh, in this area is, um, obviously has a lot of appeal to people. Um, uh, the fact that uh, they don't have to um, commute for for hours or take flights and live in camps up in remote parts of the province is is very attractive. Um, there's um, great uh, um, recreational pursuits out here. I mean, there's a lot of a lot of um, attributes in the in the peace region that I, I think will um, will uh, will appeal to a lot of people. Uh, so I don't think there'll be um, a lot of resistance. Especially these jobs are not going to be fifteen or twenty dollar an hour jobs. These jobs are going to be high paying jobs. We forecast uh, very high salaries, um, both to attract the skilled work set and also make sure that people are attracted to the jobs because they're high paying and long term jobs. They're not temporary jobs. So um, I think that uh, um, I've lived in a small community before, 3,000 people, uh, uh, but it was on the uh, on the prairies. And uh, if I had a choice, I'd certainly be living up here as opposed to there. That's very good to hear. Okay. <laughs> Any other questions? Well, th thank you for your presentation. Um, I'm thinking that you either did this before or you're a very good talker because uh, I think you condensed about two hours into the oh. hour that we had. <laughs> but He's trying was... to get me down to half an hour. <laughs> oh, well, you're, you're on your way. I watched the whole time. <laughs>
<laughs> you're, you're on your way. So thank you very much and uh, wish you well with your investment and your uh, progress in the future. And uh, hope it all works out and hope the Peace River is in the, in the mindset okay, too. Absolutely. And we hope to be back again soon. Okay, and share you our uh, our progress as we as we move the project forward. Okay, thank you. Thank, thank you. you. Thanks. Hey, no problem nice. at all. Nice seeing you again, Colin. Thank you for setting that up. Oh well, I think I think you did most of the Mr. Sawchuk just moved that the meeting be adjourned. All those in favor?